Right. If you have your Bibles, turn with me today to Romans chapter 6. That's where we'll find our place, the book of Romans chapter 6. So wonderful to see you here. I hope you're having a great weekend uh, and just a delight to be here with you, to be able to sing some wonderful praises to God, to stay up to date on all that's going on, and to study God's Word together, and to find out exactly how it is that He wants us to take those next steps with him. Two Sundays ago uh, today, two weeks ago today, we were here celebrating Easter Sunday morning. And we celebrated with millions, some say even over a billion Christians around the world, that very important day. It was the day that Jesus really put the capstone in the arch of Christianity. And that was his bodily resurrection. Uh, we come to Good Friday. We did that uh, two weekends ago. That Friday, we were here and we were in a Good Friday service. And we were contemplating the cross. And uh, you see this morning, to my right and to my left, that those crosses are empty. And Jesus left that cross. He, he was killed on that cross. He died on that cross, bearing the weight of the sins of the world. He was there because God so loved you and me that he gave this son, this Jesus, this God-man as a gift to die in our place. He died a substitutionary death. And there upon that cross, he atoned for our sins. He paid the price. The Bible says, for without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And there Jesus died in our place. His body was taken from that cross. The cross was left empty. It was placed into a borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And after three days and three nights in that tomb, what happened? Jesus bodily came forth out of the tomb, out of the grave, our resurrected Lord. And we celebrate that every Easter Sunday morning. We celebrate the fact that Jesus was exactly who he said he was. He is exactly who he said he is. He's the resurrected Lord. He is alive. And he has his arms outstretched to us With his nail-pierced hands, with his torn side, he says to every single person in this room, I love you. And I just don't say that I love you. I demonstrated my love for you through my death, burial, and resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 3, this is the gospel or the good news that we have been delivered. That Jesus loves us so much that he came. And he took our sins upon him on that cross He went to the grave on our behalf. And you know what else he did? He come forth out of that grave triumphant over death, hell, and the grave. He is alive. And here's what he says to us. I can make you truly alive as well. For we learned last week over in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are born dead. You say, wait a minute, Pastor Mike, that's, that's strange. What in the world are you talking about? We're very much physically alive when we're born. How precious were these two young men that were up here this morning? Very much physically alive. It's such a joy to watch them grow. And you pray for them as they grow. You watch them as they grow. And before long, they won't be in their mom's arms anymore. And before long, they'll be running around this church. And what a joy it'll be to watch that. And they'll be very much physically alive. But you know what? Inside spiritually... We are born alive, but yet spiritually we are what, church? Ephesians chapter 2. We are what? We are dead. That's right. We are dead. We are separated from God. 
Why is that? Well, we know why that is because of the previous chapter to the one we're going to look at today. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 really starts to tell the story in HD clarity. And it says, if I may summarize it, by one man, sin entered the world. And that man's name was Adam. And Adam and Eve were in the garden. They were in the perfection of God there. They walked and talked with the Lord. The lion was lying down with the lamb. Can we imagine those garden realities? It's hard for us to even get our brain around it. And yet by one man, sin entered the world. And Adam is known as the federal head of the human race. And because of Adam's sin, death has now passed upon what? All men, for all have sinned. And we're born with a sin nature. And as a result, we commit sins. And our sin nature and its resulting sins separates us from a holy God. And there's only one person that can bring us back into a right relationship with that holy God. His name is Jesus. And that's why he went to that cross and took our sins upon him. That's why he came out of that tomb. He is alive. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. And he says to every individual who could be very much physically alive yet spiritually dead, I have the authority and the power to bring you alive as well. Alive from the inside out. And I can give you the joy of knowing a life to the full. John 10.10 says this, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have life to the full. That you might know what it means to stand on a mountaintop, resurrected in my love, saved by my grace, and to look out across that vista and to feel every bit of it from the inside out fully alive. He says, I can allow you to know what it means to stand on the seashore. What is it about that seashore? What is it about the coast that just sort of recalibrates us? And to look at that and to see and to feel the movement of that water and to feel it from the inside out, every inch of you fully alive. Jesus says, I can bring you alive to be in the mountains, to be at the coast, to be with those grandchildren of your own and to hold them and to see God's work in your family and to absolutely be overwhelmed with what God has done because he's made you alive and given you a life to the full. This is what Jesus can do. And this morning, every single person in the sanctuary falls into one of two categories. I'll put category one over here. I'll put category two over here. You may be in category one and you may be saying, Pastor Mike, I'm hearing of this resurrection. I'm hearing of this Bible. I don't know what to think about the Bible. I don't even know if I even believe it to be true. I don't know if I believe the resurrection. I'm here as a bit of a explorer of what this is all about. Can I say this to you? We're so glad you're here. And this is a safe place to explore. And every single person that's in this sanctuary at one time in their life was absolutely an explorer. And they were wrestling with the claims of Christ. They were wrestling with the veracity of the Word of God. Is this Bible able to be believed? Is this just a, a book of man that's full of some maybe history and yet a blend of sort of fairy tales and myths? Or is this really the Word of God? You see, there's a lot of folks maybe here this morning or maybe just a few, I don't know, only really you and God know in your heart that are just exploring. But there's a number of other folks over in this camp who have absolutely believed, 
who have just stepped out on a reasoned faith and said, I believe that the Bible is God's word. I believe that Jesus really was, really is who he said he is. He died for my sins. He went to that grave. He came forth on the third day triumphant, and I have a personal relationship with him, and he's brought me alive from the inside out. And I'm no longer an explorer. I'm a believer. I'm no longer a doubter. I have taken the step to determine faith in the object of the person and work of Jesus. I'm not the hopeless. I'm the hopeful. I'm not a wanderer. I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. And you have received this wonderful good news of Jesus and he's made you alive. And so everybody in our sanctuary today is in one of those two categories. You're either in one or the other. You can't be in one and part in one and part in the other or half in one and half. You're either in one or the other. And you have to determine. And what makes the determination of which camp you're in is what are you going to do with Jesus, with this resurrected Lord? I mean, if this is true... If he really is who he said he is, if he came forth out of that tomb, you say, Pastor Mike, I don't even know if I believe that the Bible says, oh, we believe the Bible's true. Why do you believe the Bible's true? I love to use acronyms. It helps me remember things. I believe the Bible is true because God has given us maps to biblical reliability. I just use that word maps as an acronym. The manuscript evidence tells me the Bible is true. I mean, we could talk for 30 minutes. We'll do it sometime uh, and look at all of the manuscript evidence that we have undergirding the veracity of Scripture. How about the archaeological evidence, letter A there? The Bible doesn't need archaeology to prove that it's true, but boy, does archaeology ever prove it out. What about fulfilled prophecy? How in the world could that be? Micah 5.2, But thou, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, Hundreds and hundreds of years before Luke 2, hundreds and hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, this prophet says what? Jesus is going to be born where? In Bethlehem. Wait a minute, time out. He should have been born in Nazareth. We kind of joked about that at Christmas. Joseph and Mary, they'd already registered at, at Nazareth General. They had taken the tour of the birthing suites. They'd gotten their book, What to Expect When You're Expecting. I mean, they were all ready for that. But there was this guy named Caesar Augustus who sent what? Everybody back to their home areas, back to their areas of origin because a census and taxation. You see, some things never change. A census and taxation uh, was bringing forth. And what? Jesus ends up being born where? In Bethlehem. Hundreds and hundreds of years before that happened. Micah 5, 2. But thou, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the nations, yet out of thee shall come forth unto us that one who's to be prince and ruler of all. Are you kidding me? Fulfilled prophecy. And then what about statistical probability? The letter S there. That these 40-some authors over 1,500 years come forth these 66 love letters from the heart of God to the heart of man called the Bible And they all tell one exact same story of the love of God for people in Christ. And the Old Testament builds up in dramatic crescendo to the cross, the death, and the resurrection. 
And out of that comes the New Testament that what? That teaches us how to live accordingly in the light of that. And all of this just resounds to tell the story of the unfailing, amazing love of God for people. And we've looked at this manuscript evidence as an explorer. And we've considered the archaeological evidence. And we've looked at the miracle of fulfilled prophecy. And we've just looked at the sheer statistical probability. And upon that, we've stepped out in a reasoned step of faith. And we said, my goodness, this Bible, this book is like no other. It's the Word of God. John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is truth. And upon that, we've stepped out and we've believed. And we believe that Jesus did come forth out of that grave. We talked about it on Easter Sunday, the greatest feat in all of human history. We talked about the fact of the resurrection. We talked about the reality of the empty tomb. We talked about the post-resurrection appearances, over 500 of them after his resurrection. And very powerfully, we talked about the transformed lives of the disciples. And we go, oh my goodness, look at this. This is real. What are you going to do with Jesus? That's the ultimate question for the explorer. What are you going to do with God's Word? What are you going to do with all this manuscript evidence? What are you going to do with that empty tomb? What are you going to do with those transformed lives of the disciples? They were cowering. They were denying. They were fearful. And after they interviewed and were interviewed by the resurrected Christ, what happens in their life? They turn into lions for the faith. And they take the baton of the gospel. And they rip through the known world of this time. And at that time doing what? Sharing this good news of the resurrected Christ. For the explorer today, what are you going to do with him? That is the most important question that you will ever answer in your life. Wait a minute, Pastor Mike. I thought the most important question I would ever answer in my life is, will you marry me? That's an important one. I thought the most important question I would ever answer in my life is, do you want to buy this house and sign on the dotted line right here? That's an important question. One that has tremendous ramifications. There's a lot of important questions we answer in life, aren't there? But the most important one that you'll ever answer is, what will you do with Jesus. And we have to answer that in the close reflection and in the close shadow of the empty tomb. But what about the believer? What about the one that has looked at the scriptures, that has looked at the resurrected Christ and has stepped out on faith, a reasoned, solid faith, yet nonetheless faith, Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. It requires faith. I would contend that whatever your worldview is, whatever your system of belief is, that in significant points along the way in it, it requires faith. And individuals have stepped out and said, my goodness, I believe this is truth. We believe and attest And testify to the reality of the resurrected Lord and what he can do from the inside out in the heart and in the life and in the soul of men, women, boys, and girls. And here we are to testify from our personal experiences that he is real. And we testify 
at the close two-week shadow out from an empty tomb, and we say what? What's next? What's next? When we, when we realize that he's real, when we believe in him, you know what he does? He takes people who are spiritually dead, and you know what he does? He makes them alive. He makes them fully alive. He makes them able to feel like they've never feel, felt, to see like they've never seen, to touch and taste like they've never touched or tasted before. And ultimately, we taste and see that he is so, so good. But, but what's next for this group that has believed and, and want to begin to grow and develop their faith? Interestingly enough, it comes right after Romans chapter 5, we find the answer. Because this will be the most profound thing that I might say all day. This is going to really wow you for Romans 6 comes right after Romans 5. And in Romans chapter 5, we learned, didn't we, that by one man, disobedience entered this entire planet. But by one man's what? Obedience, many are made what? Righteous. That's right. And this is what Jesus does. He makes us righteous. He brings us alive in him. What now? And we love the teaching from Romans chapter 6. If we had time today, we would go through the entire chapter. I would love to do it with you. And I would choose an old sword from my library. I would choose, in fact, sitting down there by John is my old King James. Uh, It's probably the first sort of official Bible I ever owned. I took it to Bible college with me, and I opened it back up this week. And the pages of Romans 4, 5, 6, and 7 are just completely, they're gone. I mean, they're just, they're not even connected anymore. Uh, I could have held them up individually as pages. Such an important passage and in in section in our Bibles. And in those older translations, three words will come forth in Romans chapter 6. And this is a bit of homework for you this afternoon, if I might uh, joyfully assign it, to maybe look back into an older translation that you might have. And in the first section, maybe the first 10 verses, I want you to look for the word no. No, no, no. Paul says there's some things that we need to absolutely know. And then in verse 12, you'll come, if you use a King James, you'll come to this really fun word. In my mind, it's almost like a country word. It's the word reckon. Have you ever heard some country friends ever use that phrase like that? Well, I reckon so. It's a really fun word, reckon. It means to count or to consider. It really is a pretty powerful word. It means to put the nail in the board, to really nail it down to count it, to consider it as true. There's some things that we need to know in our head. There's some things that we need to reckon, count, or consider in our heart. I mean, we got to put the stake down on this. This is super important. And then as you go on through the rest of the chapter, look for the word yield. Know, reckon, yield. That's what we do next. We know some things in our head. We reckon them, we count them, we consider them to be true in our heart. And then we take our hands and our feet and we yield them to God as he begins to teach us what it looks like to be moving away from our grave clothes and putting on our grace clothes. To be moving away from that person that we used to be when we were dead in our trespasses and sins to that person that we now are in and as a result fully alive in Christ. To be putting off Ephesians 4, Colossians 3 and to be putting on as we yield and we begin to grow in this new 
person in Jesus. Here is the blessing of Romans 6. Paul knowing that at Northwest Hills on this Sunday that we would arrive to get into this passage and that we would be hosting a marathon and time when this would be important, he concluded or summarized the entire chapter for us in two verses. Let's look at it together. Verse 17 and verse 18. The first two words we're going to come back and cover more at the end. Paul says, thank God, exclamation point. Thank God. Thank God. I love that. Look what he says, point one here. And this is a beautiful little summary of the entire chapter. Once you were slaves of sin. And boy, is that the truth. And that's what he wants us to know. If you go back and look at the first 10 verses, you'll see the the detailed presentation of what that looked like. And and you'll see it. He'll hit it three or four times for you. You need to know that you were once dead, but now Christ has made you alive. Oh, by the way, that's beautifully, uh, beautifully presented and illustrated through your believer's baptism. That once you've accepted Christ in the pardon and forgiveness of sin, he's come in and changed you from the inside out. You get baptized in a public format because you want the world to know that you're making a public identification, watch this church, with his death, burial, and resurrection. And you're letting everyone know that he has made you alive. And he has changed you from the inside out. And there's no more powerful illustration of that than that first step of obedience for a believer called baptism. And we make that public identification out loud living with the one who's changed everything in us from the inside out. Once you were slaves of sin. When you're dead spiritually, you have no other option than just to be a slave of sin. It's just what you do. There's no other capacity there than to do that. And, and you can see it on full display. And I'm going to tell you the horrible places that can take you. And the enemy of our souls will fan that flame all day long. Dead people walking around with their own sinful incarnations and lust and, and their own way and their own will. The enemy will just watch. He'll just... He'll fan that flame all day till you end up so far and so deep and so wide and such a mess... You wonder how in the world am I ever going to get out of it? You may say, Pastor Mike, that's not my situation. I have all of life has to offer. In fact, my life doesn't feel messy. It feels actually cleaned up, super, super great. I've got resources. I've got blessings. But yet there's that emptiness inside. You thought all of those things would bring you to that moment where you really felt whole and fulfilled And just absolutely those moments of great peace and joy from the inside out. But yet all of this stuff and yet that core of your soul is missing and yet hollow. Jesus can feel that. For that friend that has fallen into that snare of the enemy and he's taken him or her down that path. You wonder, is there ever a way to get him out of that? I'm going to tell you what, Jesus can get him out of that. Jesus is the answer for that person who has found themselves far, far from God. And no situation they can get themselves into is outside of the touch of His grace and His wonderful salvation. The entire time I was working on my undergraduate degree, my dad was a volunteer missionary chaplain at the Georgia State Penitentiary. 
It's the worst of the worst. It's the end of the line. It's the last stop in the state of Georgia for individuals, the vast, vast majority who are serving life or multiple life sentences. And these people have done some horrific and heinous things in their life. You can only allow your mind to wonder for a moment to imagine. It was the most unusual thing for me as a very young, skinny, red-headed preacher at that time. And I would go into this chapel on Sunday mornings in the summer that would be filled, three or four hundred prisoners singing hymns to the top of their lungs. And I would stand up there in a navy blue pinstripe double-breasted suit with that black King James Bible and I would preach my heart out to these prisoners. It was just an opportunity for me to work on preaching and teaching. It was a great opportunity. I look back on that and I go, my goodness, were you scared? You bet I was. Did you always keep an eye on the door? You bet I did. Did I always watch how I got in and trying to figure out how I would get? Yes, it was a bit overwhelming and frightening. But you know what a joy it was to be able to stand up with all authority and say, no matter what you've done, Jesus can forgive you. Don't you think for a minute that you have outsinned his capacity to forgive you by his grace that he achieved on your behalf on that cross? You will not disrespect that sacrifice on that cross. He can save you. No matter what you've done, no matter how bad you think your life is or how great you think it is, yet you are just tormented by the hollowness of it, Jesus can bring you alive from the inside out and he can give you new appetites and a new name and a new journey and a new path and a new future home and a new hope. He can change everything from the inside out. I love this. Paul says, once you were slaves of sin, but we love the conjunctions in the book of Romans, but now you wholeheartedly It is such a powerful word. It's such a rich word. With everything you have from the inside out, you what? With your heart, you obeyed the good news of Jesus. And you what? And you believed. I love that. But now you wholeheartedly obeyed this teaching we have given to you. What teaching? Everything from Romans 1.1 through Romans 6 verse 18. All of it. But how that we're lost in our sin. But through Christ we can be redeemed. We no longer have to be slaves to sin. But now we can be what? Slaves to righteousness. Look what Christ has done. But now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. And look, verse verse, uh, 18. Now, point three. Now you are free from your slavery to sin and you have become now slaves to righteous living. The summary of the whole chapter. Here's what I want you to know. You were dead, now you're alive. Here's why. Because you reckoned or counted some things as true for yourself and you believed and Jesus changed everything from the inside out. And now the Holy Spirit, the moment you were saved, came to take up residence within you and you now have His power and you have the whole panoply of the Word of God to do what? To show you how to begin to yield your life to righteous living, saying no to Jesus, 
saying yes to Jesus, saying no to the old way. Saying yes to a new path, saying no to the old path. Saying yes to the grace clothes, saying no to the what? The grave clothes. And everything begins to change. And you, I think it's my three most favorite verses in this entire chapter. You are free. You are free. You are spiritually alive and you are fully free to do what? To live a life to the full in Christ. Righteous living every single day that he gives us breath. Paul picks this theme up later on in Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3 with that repeated teaching, put off and put on. Put off and put on. Leave behind the unrighteous living. No more do we lie, but now we what? We speak the truth. No more do we steal. Now we do what? We work with our hands to provide and to be able to give out and honor God. No longer do we just get angry and explode, but now we never let the sun go down upon our wrath, but we resolve things with people in a healthy and right way. We make these choices for right living. Pastor Mike, I've believed in the close shadow of the empty tomb. I believed. What do I do now? No reckon yield. Or if I can summarize the whole chapter, here's what you do now. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you've wholeheartedly obeyed this teaching which we have been given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteous living. Now go forward and live following your shepherd and learning what it means to live like Jesus. You are free. Pastor Mike, I'm over here. I'm thinking about these maps. I'm thinking about this resurrection, the greatest feat in all of human history. The fact, the empty tomb, the appearances, the transformed lives of the disciples. And what it means to step out by faith and belief. This is a wonderful place for you and God to do that work in your heart that needs to be done. While those who have believed move forward learning by the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the Word of God what it looks like, and here's the biblical picture, to live and to walk righteously in Christ. Step by step, leaving my grave clothes, adding more and more grace clothes as I walk the righteous walk. You are free to run down that What does Paul say as a result of all of this? Look back at the first two words of verse 17. Thank God. I love that. I love the power, the simplicity of that, the joy in that. Paul says, thank God. We knew what it was like to be bound, lost, and undone in our trespasses and sins. But he has saved us and he has put us on the path and he has changed everything from the inside out. May the church resound Sunday after Sunday. Thanks be to God. 
for all that he has done in our lives from the inside out. Father, we love you. We thank you for the wonderful truths of your word. Thank you for, Jesus, what you did in your resurrection, what you did in that cross. It's why we remember it. We honor it. We love you. We thank you. And for those explorers that are here today, Lord, continue to reveal yourself to them. The wondrous truths of your word to them. Draw them. It's between your heart and their heart, Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. And for that, we're so grateful. And for those of us that have been redeemed, help us, Lord, by the power of your Spirit to enjoy our freedom and use our freedom to learn what it looks like to live in a righteous and God-honoring way. Not that we would be praised, but that you would be magnified for the work that you've done in our life. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the truths of your word and how it just speaks directly to where we live today. Thank you for all you've done for us. In your name we pray. Amen.